Good morning. My name is Margaret Borden. I'm your lay leader this morning. I want to welcome you to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we are glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to the visitors here this morning. You are invited to fill out a visitor's card found on the back of the pew in front of you, so you will be invited to events for visitors. We come from a long heritage that teaches that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by welcoming the person to your right and left this morning. It is also my pleasure this morning to introduce our guest uh, worship leaders, the Reverends Kristen Grassel Schmidt and Christian Schmidt live in Malden, Massachusetts and served churches in eastern Massachusetts. Christian grew up in Austin, and Kristen in Maryland. Now, if uh, you will please say with me the words in your order of service for lighting our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Full of thanks, full of laughter, full of sorrow and joy, full to the brim with life. We gather to marvel at the Spirit in, with, and among us. So come, great Spirit, make of our hearts a dwelling place for your love. Amen. It's such an honor and a joy to be with you all today in worship. Thank you for such a warm welcome. Unitarian Universalism has its roots in many traditions, including both religious and secular. People are curious about what holds us together since we don't have a common creed or belief. There are many answers to this question, but at this church, one answer that holds us together is our mission, which we created together, wrote on our wall, and say every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. A few years ago, a Baptist preacher named Gordon Atkinson used to write a blog called Real Live Preacher. Now, the name of that blog comes from a conversation he had with a clergy group of friends of his where they were talking about the future of ministry and wondering if there were going to be any churches in existence 300 years from now. And uh, they were all laughing about what it would be like to go to the circus and see the novelty of a real live preacher um, (laughs) in the circus ring. So anyway, he has some wonderful musings about ministry, about... um, Practicing Love in This Modern World, and here is um, a a section of one of those blog entries called How to Find a Church. I keep getting emails from people who say, your church sounds nice. I wish I could find one like that. Let me guess. You're looking for a cool church filled with authentic people who aren't judgmental, but also have convictions and are hip and classic in just the right mixture. A church where people forgive each other and love children and worship in meaningful ways. 
a church with a swinging preacher who makes faith come alive and tells great stories and is a wonderful inspiration and is your best friend. A church where the hunger for truth is honored and people can disagree but still love each other and share a plate of tacos. Is that what you're looking for? I got ya. I understand. Here are some tips to help you in your search. Number one, you won't find that church. Number two, open the yellow pages, tear out the entire church section, and burn it. Offer prayers for your journey while warming yourself by the fire. Dance, if that's your thing. Number three, find out if there are any house churches in your area. Not every house church is what you're looking for, but your odds are better. These are faithful people who've decided not to have buildings. They put a high premium on authenticity and relationships. Think worship with guitars, Ritz crackers, and singing songs with a baby on your lap. Number four, let's talk about number one again. As I said, you won't find the church you're looking for. Go ahead and grieve. You'll have to make do with a silly bunch of dreamers and children prone to mistakes, blunders, and misjudgments. Find some people you can hang with, people you can trust. Be patient. You'll change them, and they'll change you. You'll meet somewhere in the middle. Now let us enter into a time of centering. Breathing deeply. Feeling through our feet our connection to this earth that holds us. Spirit of life that flows in, with, and among us. God, whose other name is love. We give thanks for today's many blessings, for the beauty and promise of this new day, for friends near and far who are like family, for family members who are true friends, and for all of the people whose love, commitment, good humor, and talent make this church a community that changes lives. This morning, we are so glad to celebrate the budding ministry of Chris Jimerson, a member of this church whom you are calling from among you into the ordained ministry. May he be forever blessed in the living of this work, and may the ministry to which he is called and to which we all are called continue to be a blessing to our world. We give thanks this morning that one same-sex couple was able to be joined together in legal marriage here in Texas, even as we wait in hopeful prayer for all couples here and around this nation to have their relationships legally recognized. And this morning, we also send prayers of joyful celebration to our Asian siblings in spirit as they continue week-long celebrations of the Lunar New Year. Indeed, there is much to be thankful for, and yet we know that around our world and here among us this morning, there are many who are suffering. Maybe even we ourselves are suffering. We lift up all who are sick in mind, body, or spirit, all who have received troubling diagnoses. We hold in prayer those who struggle to stay alive due to physical or mental illness, and the friends and family members who struggle to support them. We lift up all who do not have work or enough work, 
the thousands who risk everything crossing our nation's southern border in search of a better life for themselves and their children. We pray for soldiers and their families, for people everywhere on the front lines of peace and equality, and for all those in harm's way. When struggle, pain, and the reality of the world's evils weigh heavily in our hearts, let us remember to give thanks for this church and others like it, where we are reminded again and again that love is stronger than hate. When we grow disappointed in ourselves and the ways we haven't lived up to our ideals, in the ways we maybe haven't been our best selves, let us remember that our worth as beloved children of love is not something we earn. It's our birthright. And that there is nothing any of us can do or fail to do that will ever change how very precious we are. Let us give thanks for this strong yet tender, challenging yet comforting, hallowed yet quirky church community where all are loved as we are, but too much to let us stay that way. And let us give thanks again and again for all in our world, both past and present, who bear witness to grace and love and mercy, whose lives give shape to the power within each and every one of us to help bend the arc of justice just a little bit more toward justice. These and all things we pray for love's sake. Amen. In this time of gratitude and longing, I invite all who have a particular joy or need to rise and light a candle. I think it's pretty ironic that pregnancy is referred to as the time a woman is expecting. While pregnant with my first child, I can tell you I had no idea what to expect at all. Maybe it's because I'm adopted and my mother didn't have stories about being pregnant with me, or maybe it's because I believed that a bunch of books and blogs and birthing classes could actually prepare me for parenthood. Based on all of the anecdotes I'd heard and read about the various different experiences during pregnancy, I went into my first labor expecting to give birth to a watermelon-sized baby girl Sasquatch. And I'd formed some pretty specific ideas by then about how the birth would go and how I thought I wanted to raise my kids. But no book and no blog and no birthing class could have ever really prepared me for the moment that they put that precious baby boy in my arms for the first time. Nearly three years later, I've come to the realization that parenting is a lifelong masterclass in learning to expect the unexpected. Our son CJ is blossoming into a really funny little guy with passionate likes and dislikes of his own, and with tendencies that put nearly all of my preconceived notions and neat little plans about how I wanted to raise him to the test. And seven weeks ago tomorrow, I gave birth to our second child, another boy, whom we named John. And even though everyone warned me, it's still a surprise just how different John is from his older brother. Even though we thought we knew what to expect, little John was another reminder that when welcoming someone new into the world or into our hearts, no matter what our preconceived notions might be, 
anything is possible. Most recently, though, I've begun to think more deeply about another aspect of being in relationship with young people, whether as a parent or another figure. While it's been wondrous to be entrusted with the care of these two precious souls, entrusted to guide and shape and teach each of them this holy business of growing into good human beings, I'm coming to learn just how much this holy business is, in fact, a two-way street. Because CJ and John are teaching me just as many things as I hope I'm teaching them. Just by virtue of their presence, their very beings, they are transforming who I am as much as I will ever shape who they become. And I imagine that those of you who are parents or aunts or uncles or teachers or friends to children can think of times when the traditional roles were reversed when you learned more from them than you taught them. This morning's story for all ages speaks to this experience of the unexpected, to what it feels like when roles are shifted. I mean, here's this perfectly normal thief preparing to carry out a perfectly normal robbery, and instead the Zen master treats the thief like a guest. The story doesn't elaborate on exactly what might have gone through the thief's mind when he decided to give up thievery and study with the Zen master, but I wonder, I wonder if it's because the Zen master's unexpected welcome helped the thief come to see himself in a new way. I wonder if his welcome helped the thief come to see himself as a person capable of more than just taking what he wanted or needed. I wonder if the Zen master's unexpected welcome allowed the thief to see himself as a person capable of receiving what he wanted and needed as a gift, capable of showing gratitude for gifts received. I think this dynamic of having the tables turned, this experience of unexpected change is also what Gordon Atkinson is really getting at in this morning's reading. Whether we're here this morning hoping this might become our new church home, whether we're visiting from out of town, or we're here seeking to draw nourishment and renewal from the church we love, I think we miss the point if we come to church looking for perfection. Gordon is honest enough to tell us that we'll never find the perfect church filled with perfect people, the church with people who never pass judgment, who are hip and classic and just the right mixture, who always forgive, where the hunger for truth is honored and people can disagree but still love each other and share food together. Fortunately or unfortunately, the church where people do all of this perfectly all the time doesn't exist. And instead, he insists that we just have to make do with a silly bunch of dreamers and children, prone to mistakes and blunders and misjudgments. You'll change them and they'll change you, he says. You'll meet somewhere in the middle. You'll change them and they'll change you. You'll offer something and they'll offer something, and together, church will happen. Church will be created and as much transformed by the gifts of the guest as it is rooted in the traditions of long-timers and generations past. 
For me, this is really the whole point of religious community in a nutshell. We aren't called to create churches where people come only to take what they want or need. Though great churches often have fabulous programs and dazzling growth strategies, church really isn't a product to be consumed. No, I think church is meant to be a community of people who, like the Zen master, welcome others so they come to see themselves and their world in fresh and new and relevant ways. Earlier in this service, I was overjoyed to hear your congregation president describe her experience of coming to realize here at First Church Austin the gifts she has to offer and that this church has been a place that has welcomed and celebrated and empowered her to put those gifts to use in the service of that which is greater than all of us. Yes, I believe people become part of churches that will change them and that expect to change along with them. And just as my sons are helping me grow just as much as I think I'm nurturing their growth, this church thing is a two-way street. Yes, people become part of churches where all are invited to go outside of ourselves and our comfort zones and to meet others somewhere in the middle. And yet so often I hear Unitarian Universalists describe their churches with phrases like a community of like-minded people or a community where you don't have to believe in fill in the blank. And I always wonder... What about people who do believe in whatever we fill in that blank? Churches that practice our faith aren't really meant to be havens from all the things we don't like about the world or places that exist solely for the purpose of attracting people who think exactly whatever we do. Because if that were truly the purpose of church, our many congregations around the country likely wouldn't have grown and evolved into such diverse communities as we see today. Just think about our denomination's shared work to welcome the LGBT community has transformed both our LGBT members and our faith. Three decades ago, our congregations were nowhere near as open and affirming of people on the spectrums of gender and sexuality as they are now. But some of our churches made the intentional decision to welcome people who were outright rejected from other faith communities, many who unfortunately are still unwelcome in faith communities today. They welcomed the LGBT community as a way to reach out to be of service, to offer something of kindness and hospitality. And just as my children have begun to transform me, just as the thief was transformed from his experience with the Zen master, I think our congregations began to be transformed by the presence and participation and gifts and blessings these new members brought with them. Somehow, in the midst of our work to welcome newcomers, newcomers, being hosts to our guests, suddenly the tables were turned and their presence and their gifts and their perspectives helped us begin to see ourselves and our churches in new ways, helped us begin to see that we were capable of being and doing so much more than we were. And our congregations eventually began not only to be changed but to make changes 
We changed our wedding ceremonies to be fully inclusive of same-gender couples. We changed our religious education curricula to affirm an ever-widening understanding of healthy sexuality. We began to advocate at the local and national levels for LGBT equality in in marriage and in the military. And as the news here in Texas reflects, our faith-led efforts are slowly but surely making a difference. Slowly but surely helping bend the universe's arc toward justice. This, my friends, this is growth in spirit. And the kind of growth in which church, I think, finds its true purpose. This is a kind of growth we can expect, but only in the way a family can expect the way their life will unfold together after the birth or adoption of a new baby. Programs and growth strategies have their place and can be important tools in helping congregations uncover low-hanging fruit that's limiting their growth, limiting the people they can serve. But no growth strategy in the world can really prepare a church for how it will be transformed by the gifts and presence and treasures and differences and even challenges of new folks coming in. And that's because the transformation that comes from growth is by nature beyond expectation. We can try to control what our church will become, but it won't work. That's the thing about that spirit that flows in with and among us. It defies expectation. It beckons us into unexpected encounters of change and challenge and more abundant life. So I ask you, who might we not be welcoming today? Whose transformative presence are we missing out on for the sake of maintaining havens for the lake like-minded, whatever that means? Who might we learn to better welcome, not only because we have a life-changing faith to offer them, but because of the gifts and blessings they would bring to change and transform us and the way we do church? What if we decided to work in the spirit of the Welcoming Congregations program, an intentional program congregations can undertake to become more welcoming of the LGBT community? What if we worked in the spirit of that program, but specifically around the work of welcoming the homeless or welcoming the immigrant? What would our congregations or our faith or our country or our world look like 30 years from now if we did that? The words I want to leave you with today come from the Reverend Victoria Weinstein, who is minister of our congregation of Greater Lynn in Massachusetts and who was also the author of the reading that Christian used at the earlier service. This is what she writes. Today, the church is an outsider institution, as it always should have been. It exists to question cultural norms, to help us want the right things, and to hunger and thirst for justice to make us uncomfortable with the gap between our professed ideals and our actions. It exists to claim us, to shake us, to demand of us, and to make us new people, siblings of one another, lovers of the world, workers on behalf of the kingdom of equals, and the kind of people that others are so drawn to that they can't help but ask, wow, how did you get trained to be such an amazing human being? My church is training me, we would respond. 
It's a lot of inner work, a lot of thinking and reflecting and talking with people about how to be, and it's expensive. I give my church a lot of my time and my money, but it really is working a miracle in my life. A miracle which feels amazingly freer and richer, more meaningful, deep, and hopeful now than it did before. If you're interested, I'd love you to be my guest for a Sunday service. May this be so for us and for all of our beloved congregations. The world is depending on it. Amen. Please say with me the words in your order of service for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. My friends, go in peace as agents of love into a hurting world that needs exactly your gifts. Amen. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.